Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All right, I'm going to pray again and we're going to jump in. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, Holy Spirit. You're already moving. You're already stirring our hearts, Lord. I thank you for opening us up to hear and receive what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I thank you, Lord, for moving through your word. God, would you would you open our hearts to the reality of your heart for us? God, would you open, would you open our understanding, God, to, to understand and know this God that we serve, that we're singing to, Lord? We want to know you intimately. We want to know you more deeply. God, we want to be changed by your word. We want to be transformed by your character, and we want to be salt and light in the culture you've placed us in. So God, I pray, would you come and move in our midst today? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to jump right in. So the title of my message today is Standing in the Gap. Standing in the Gap. And uh, I've got a few different examples I'm going to take us through, um, but I, I want to start by this question. Have you ever had a situation where there was an injustice done to you and you wish that there was somebody there to stand in the gap for you? And the hands go up. Some of you just came from Thanksgiving and you're like, yes, so much injustice around the Thanksgiving table. Lord, help stand in the gap for me. Um, Some of you, you know, we pray for you later, but um, we'll have a prayer line up here for all the Thanksgiving stuff. But um, but yeah, I, I just. I can rel- I actually have a story that came to my mind like very early on in my life. It's probably the first one of the first moments where I realized there's great injustice and sin in the world, and and there is not an easy answer for this injustice and sin that I'm dealing with. And so I was in elementary school. I don't know, maybe second, third grade, and I was a pretty naive kid. I thought everybody was just true to their word. Um, that's the way I operate. That's the way I assumed everybody else did. And so I was cutting a playground deal for some toys. You know how that goes? You're like, hey, I'll give you this action figure. You give me that one, and, and we'll trade. And so I cut a deal with a girl who, I, who clearly did not have the same value system as I did. And, uh, and lo and behold, I gave her my toy before she gave me hers. And, and she was like, no, actually, I'll keep your toy, and I'll keep my toy. And so I remember being so frustrated. It's vivid in my mind. Um, and so, like, how could somebody do that to me? This is wrong. And I remember being very mad and going to some corner, and I, I was either crying or just sad or just frustrated. And my buddy Brandon came over to me, and, uh, you know, same age, and he's like, Cole, you know, what's going on? I said, you know, that, that girl over there, you know, she, she took my toy, and she, she promised me all this and whatever. He looked at me, like, very resolute, and he was like, okay. And so later on that day, maybe an hour or two later, we're outside, we're playing, and we had these June beetles that we would collect as kids. They were always out running around. Maybe, I mean, they're big. They're probably this big. They're creepy, crawly um, little guys. And we filled them in this water bucket to see if they would swim, I guess. And so there's maybe, a, you know, 20 of these things, like, in this water bucket. So this girl, she turns her back on Brandon, which you should never do. And Brandon takes that bucket and dumps that right over the girl's face. <laughs> and so she is soaked to the bone, and there are bugs crawling all over her hair, and she's screaming. And I'm sitting there, you know, smiling from one uh, ear to the other. I'm like, wow, I told the right guy. And I uh, love you, Brandon. I don't know where you are today, but God bless you. 
And uh, so anyway, her whole day was ruined. She basically had to change clothes, and she was, she was a mess. And he got very little. He got, like, time out or something. But, uh, but my point is, like, in that moment, right, I was truly satisfied because I was the one that injustice was done to. Um, but, but how many of you know, like, even within a child, children have even this innate thing where they recognize injustice, and they want to see it. They want to see it, like, actually made just. They want to do, they, they want to change what the situation and what's happened. And so Brandon was just connecting with that, that sense of inward justice. But how many of you know his execution of that justice was poor, right? That, that wasn't really justice, the fact that this girl got, had her whole day ruined because she stole my action figure, right? But, but in a sense, this is the, the temptation for humanity, right? Where we see injustice and something in us, I would say it's, it's the image of God in us, de- desires that that shifts, that that changes. But then we begin to take things in our own hand, and we're going to make justice work. And guess what? Whenever people try to institute justice, there is not justice, And whenever people try to institute justice, they forget that they wouldn't want justice towards their own life. I mean, the reality is, do you really want justice towards the things that you've done or thought or said? Do you really want that? Well, you want it for your neighbor. You want it from the person that wronged you, but you never want it for yourself, right? So I want to talk today about what Brandon did for me, standing in the gap. But I want to talk about the healthy model for how you stand in the gap. How do you really stand in the gap? How, when you see injustice, when, 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 you're feeling, when you're feeling this call even for a people group, a situation, right, an industry, many of you are, are called to this city because there is something you're here to stand for. You're here to stand for Christ, but you're here to stand in the gap, the gap for other people, for situations, for industries, for people groups. Maybe it's just for your family. Maybe it's for just for your work. Maybe it's broader or bigger than that. But you're called here to stand in the gap. And I want to talk through some, some key principles from Scripture at how to do that. And, and so the real central, the central concept when you're talking about standing in the gap is there really is only one way to do it. And it's the way that Jesus modeled. How many know that's the answer to like everything ever? Like if you want to do anything in the kingdom of God, you have to know how Jesus did it and follow after him. So how does Jesus model standing in the gap? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how Jesus models it. We're going to talk about how he preaches, how he teaches others to pray for the gap, for those in the gap. We're going to talk about how Jesus calls us to go to the gap. And we're going to talk about how the word and the spirit help us to remain in the gap. But right now, I want you to think about what is the gap that you are called to stand for? Where is the injustice in your world that just drives you crazy? Where are the people in your world that break your heart? I want you to get that in your mind right now, even as we go through these things, because I want this to be practical. I want it to be something you can actually work into your own life. So number one, Jesus is our model for standing in the gap. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. We're going to start in verse 15. Isaiah 59, verse 15. Now Isaiah um, is a large book, 66 chapters. The first 40 chapters, or 39 rather, um, are very much, I mean, the whole book, there's a lot of judgment in it, but there's also a lot of hope, restoration. And so about chapter 40, things begin to shift in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah now begins speaking to a future peoples 
that are, that are not during his age. He's speaking to people 200 years later. So Isaiah is writing a lot about the Assyrians that are going to come in and, and are going to judge the northern kingdom of Israel. He writes a lot about the coming king of Babylon and the kingdoms of Babylon. They're going to come in and uproot the Jewish people. And then he begins to write in verse 40 to the exiles of the future. These are the people that the Babylonians have carried off, and now they're coming back to Israel. Now, that's when you know you're super prophetic, when you seal up something and you write it for a people 200 years later. And Isaiah was, I mean, this is one of the most prophetic books in the whole Bible. So that's, what he's, that's who he's writing to. Now, catch this. Within the book of Isaiah, right, there, there's injustice in the land, right? There's continual judgment that's being poured out. But this theme starts to develop right around uh, chapter in the 50s of this suffering servant, this suffering servant. And what is this servant going to do? He's going to make all these wrongs right. Like he's going to take all this judgment and somehow he's going to fix it. And the suffering servant does it, not in the way normal kings would do it. He does it by his suffering. He's actually lowly and humble of heart. And the way he fixes the problem, we don't fully understand in the, in the book itself, but we know that somewhere along the line he dies and somewhere along the line he shows up and he is raised to new life. This suffering servant. How many know this suffering servant is Christ himself? And Christ himself is built into these scriptures. It's woven into the book of Isaiah. And you're going to read about God's solution in Isaiah 59 to the problem that the people are having. And that's judgments coming on the land because justice has not been fulfilled because sin has corrupted the human heart. But guess what? That's their big problem. That's Israel's big problem. It's also our big problem. But God had created a solution to this problem even before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ, the lamb who we're singing about, was slain before the foundation of the world because God knew sin was going to exist. There was going to be a problem, and he was going to have to raise up a solution so that he could be with you and with me. And so this is the context of Isaiah 59. We're going to jump in at verse 15, uh, part B, so second half. The Lord saw it. Actually, I'm going to keep giving you context. So Isaiah 59 is part of what's happening here is the nation of Israel, right, as they're coming back to Jerusalem, they're now beginning to reckon, recognize their sin. They're repenting of their sin. There's guilt and confession taking place. And in the midst of guilt and confession, how many know that's where redemption, that that's, that's where revelation comes in. And Isaiah is unpacking this revelation to them, starting at verse 15. The Lord saw it, that was the injustice, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to the de their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands, he will render repayment. See, if, if Brandon and you and I can get frustrated with injustice in our land, in our lives, how much more frustrated is God, a, a just and perfect being, with injustice in the land. You see, he's frustrated beyond measure. It, it just, it displeased him that there was no justice in Israel. And he could find no man 
to fulfill that lack of justice. So he went himself. It says he, there was no one to intercede, and so his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. This, once again, is the person of Christ. He's right here in Isaiah 59. God's saying, I'm raising up. There's no man that can do this, but there is one I'm sending who's fully man and also fully God. And he is going to be the one to make the way for transgressions, for sins of Israel, and actually for the entire world. Isaiah 59, and, and in the preceding chapters, is all about, hey, guess what? These blessings, the, the, there, there's cursing that have come on Israel, but there's blessing coming to them. And this, sir, this, this Savior is coming forth, and he's not just going to bless Israel. He's going to bless Israel so that he can bless the nations of the earth. That's part of the whole narrative of Isaiah is this thing's going to go global. Like, I'm going to bless Israel. I'm going to save Israel, not only from their foreign oppressors, but also from their sin. And guess what? I'm going to save all that would come after Christ because he has come. The one that no man, no man could do this, but Christ has come to bring a solution, to bring salvation. And what's he's wearing? He's wearing a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation. And some of you say, well, I've heard that term before. Where is that from? I'm glad you asked. It's in the epistles. Paul takes the same language in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, and also in Ephesians 6, and he takes the language about the armor of God, which God himself wore. This is God's armor. Jesus wore this to fulfill the need for somebody to stand in the gap against sin, and we now are wearing the, this armor. We're now equipped to, with the helmet of salvation, with the breastplate of righteousness. So in a sense... Jesus is saying, I stood in the gap for you. Now you go stand in the gap for the rest of the nations that I'm after. Now you go do the things that I've done. And so there's this, there's this beautiful connection here with Jesus, the divine warrior. Then that's Isaiah 59. But now we're called as warriors. We're called as those to stand in the gap for those that can't save themselves. But we could point them to the one man who could. There's an invitation to walk like Jesus, to fight with these weapons, not the weapons of the world, to stand in the gap. We see a similar um, picture in the book of Ezekiel. Um, for those of you reading the Bible reading plan, we just finished Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel, we're going to go to Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Similar image here, and it says this. It's God talking. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. He's talking about Jerusalem in this context. And God's saying, if there was just, essentially he's implying if there was just one person. If there was one intercessor, one person to stand in the gap to pray for Jerusalem, I won't wipe them out but he could not find a single one. See, God's inviting us into this posture of standing in the gap. I'm, it's not just a nice analogy. It, there's an invitation from God himself for you and for me to stand in the gap. It's part of our very DNA. It's part of why we exist is actually to do this, to stand in the gap. 
Now, what does it mean? I'm just going to give a little more language because I like specificity when it comes to things like this. Standing in the gap. What does that actually mean? So I believe what, what that looks like is standing in between the realities of the earth and the realities of the advancing kingdom of God. God's will, God's desire for the earth and where the earth is currently. Now, that's a hard place to stand. And I'm going to get into Apostle Paul and how he stood in that place. But that's what we're talking about. The things of the earth and where the earth is and the things of God and where God wants to take the earth. So you're going to have to know a little bit about God to be able to stand in the gap, right? You've got to know a little bit about who he is and what he wants to do versus the world that you're in and the things that you see. Now, this is the message of the kingdom. This is the message of Jesus. If Jesus didn't teach about the message of salvation. He taught about people being saved, but his primary message was the message of the kingdom of God. And how does that message start? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It starts with us turning to acknowledge his ways, his kingdom, repenting of the ways of the world and the things of the world, reorienting ourselves to what he wants to do. And if we can't do that, you can't actually bring heaven to earth. You can't actually bring the, the purposes and plans of God. That's what I mean by heaven to earth. The purposes and plans of God for the earth to see them actually mature and manifest. You have to repent. You have to turn to his ways that you may replicate his ways on the earth. See, the kingdom of God is, has come and it's also coming. And, and that's where I believe the real gap exists where the kingdom of God, Christ has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's saved our souls. We're in Christ. If you've received him, you're going to be with him all eternity. He has the keys to death and Hades, but we still haven't seen the full manifestation of that on the earth. And Rich talked about this some last week. The apostolic and the prophetic help us to ascertain, to reach for the things that we do not see because we know that's where God is bringing the entire earth. And that is the gap I'm inviting you to. It's a gap to pray for the salvation of your neighbors, of your friends, but it's also a gap to pray for the reformation and renewal of the entire earth. It looks like industries completely redone. It, it looks like God's goodness and mercy ex exemplified in every area of society. It looks like a total rebirth. You and I were born again on the inside, right? The spirit of God was placed in our midst. And now we're called to pray for a rebirth of an entire earth, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. God, the rebirth that you did in me, the placement of the Holy Spirit in me, would you do it on the entire earth? This is a, this is a big calling. This is, <laughs> this is not a light thing. And, but I, I think it's so important that we, that we understand what we're called to. It's very much like a John the Baptist sort of call. John the Baptist came, and, and, he was, and he was there to really prepare the way for the first coming of Christ. And likewise, we are forerunners in a sense where we are coming, and we are preparing the way for the return of Christ. And so we are praying, just like John the Baptist, in accordance with our Lord. We are looking for the Lamb of God who is coming, and we are bringing reformation and revival to the earth. Not because we're so strong or we have great prayers or we have great worship or we're really smart, but because we know his plans and his ways and we won't let go of it. And we'll exemplify his glory and his goodness no matter what the world 
picture, with the picture the world is putting at us because we're looking at him and we're seeing him in his glory. That's what we were doing today. We're gazing him in his glory. And God's saying, take that glory that you've seen in me, take that beauty that you've experienced in me, and go and stand in the gap that the earth may be renewed and restored the way you were in your heart. See, I think it's so important that we internalize these things. I said this earlier, but you and I, we're made to stand in the gap. If, if we don't stand in the gap, a few things happen. Either we become super bored, right? We're just like, well, like now I'm saved. This is great. I'm going to hang in until Jesus comes. I'm not actually going to do anything with the glory that God has poured out on me, with the blessing, with the grace. So either you just become really bored and kind of hang in there, or you, you find excitement in other things. You put all your time and your energy into worldly sort of things that one day you wake up at 60 or whatever age you are and you realize, gosh, like I've spent my whole life like invested in earthly things that have no eternal value, no eternal purpose. And so I think that's where we find ourselves when we're not standing in the gap, doing the things of the kingdom, asking God to bring heaven on earth, his will, his purposes, his plans to the earth. It's our mandate. It's our calling. It's who we are. So I was, uh, when I grew up, I, was, I played football. How many of you in here played football growing up? Well, not many, a few. <laughs> Your parents were like, too many concussions. Um, but so I played, and I really enjoyed football. It was actually really great for my development as a child. I, I, you got to love when you're 14 years old, you just want, like, men to speak into your life. You want like that, that sort of like more fatherly sort of um, language. And so I can remember very, very um, strongly, um, you know, we, we, after, we, were, we were in the halftime at a football game, you know, and you have the coach that stands up and gives like, gives those locker room speeches and the coach is like, yeah, like yeah, nobody is as strong as Drew. Yeah, Drew's the strongest guy and, and nobody, nobody's as fast as Billy. Yeah, Billy, yeah, he's the fastest. And nobody can fill the gap like Colt Emsweiler. Nobody fills the gap like Colt. And I can remember, literally, that's what he said to me. And I can remember that moment being like, nobody's getting through my gap. They aren't coming through. He's right. I will kill anybody that comes through my gap. I played defense, and that was my posture. And it, it, I internalized that, right? As a, as a teenage boy full of adrenaline, I internalized what he said. And I was like, that's my calling, and I won't back down. I hope today that you internalize this message to stand in your gap, that you will not back down. And if anything runs through that gap that God's given you, you're going you're gonna to tackle that thing. You're going you're gonna to bulldoze it for Jesus, but you're going to bulldoze it. All right. So Jesus teaches us. He's our model. That was the first point. Now, Jesus teaches us to pray for our gap. All right. So this is the first thing that Christ teaches about standing in the gap. You pray for that gap. You pray for those people. You pray for the things that you want to see manifest that God's word says are supposed to exist. So prayer is not this thing for those who are bored and desperate. Like prayer is not something for those. I think so many people think like we're just, we're just shooting off prayers because we aren't connected with reality. No, prayer actually is your greatest weapon to bring forth God's reality. Like it's so far from that. It's actually being connected with what's happening on the earth and, and, and praying in connection with that saying, okay, this is happening. This is what the word of God says. This is what needs to happen. And I'm going to sit here. I'm going to intercede and pray till I see it happen. Not because I'm some bulldog prayer warrior, but because God's word says it's going to happen, and he tells me to partner with him, and that's my role, and I'm sticking to my lane, and nobody's getting through my gap. 
And that's that, that posture of prayer, that, that is the way the church is called to pray. And, and I, and I want to tell you, like, we have to change how we think about prayer. People think prayer is so weak and boring. And if you think that way, you probably haven't really prayed. You probably haven't really connected with God through prayer. And I, I'm not, I'm not um, throwing you under the bus, but I am saying, if you feel that way, get around people that know how to pray, that are invigorated by it, excited by it. And you'll find yourself like, whoa, like, this actually moves stuff. This, this actually is my first weapon of defense against darkness. It's prayer. <laughs> and so I, I can't talk about prayer enough. I'm going to read from Matthew 6, verse 9. This is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the greatest words ever spoken by any human being ever. The Sermon on the Mount is the most precious sermon ever preached. And Christ is teaching his disciples, how do you actually walk? How do you actually live a Christian life, like, like what does it look like to walk in the way of Christ? And the very center of this whole sermon is this, this expose on prayer. Prayer is the, is the middle of the middle of the middle of the middle and the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the centerpiece of the Christian life. So here's how we're called to pray. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, verse 9, says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Does that sound like a milk toast prayer to you? That does not sound like a defensive prayer. We're saying kingdom come, will be done. God, deliver us from evil. God, establish your kingdom on the earth. This is how Jesus taught him to pray. God, would you take us back to these realities that we would pray with this type of offense. See, prayer is offensive. It's not defensive. It's not like, God, stop them. Stop them from doing this terrible thing. You never knew they were going to do it. Just cut it out. Like, no, it's like, God, your word says this, and I'm going to pray this because I know it's your heart. And I know you want to bring manifestation of your glory and your goodness to the earth. It's offensive. It's not defensive. See, I think when we have a healthy, when we have a healthy prayer life, it actually helps us to have the right gut reaction to wickedness, the right, the right reaction to things in our life that aren't good, that aren't of God. Because when you're praying and you know God's will in his heart, you know, oh, this is the earth looks like, but here's where he's taking it. When you see something that's not in alignment with God's will, with his purposes, with his word, you immediately, you don't, you don't accept that. You can acknowledge it. That's, this is in the earth. Like there's a lot of brokenness in families. But I, I've read Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I, so there's brokenness in families right now, but that, that's not God's will, and that's not his heart. That's not where this thing's going. I know from Malachi 4, 5, and 6 that the, the sons and daughters are going to come to the mothers and fathers. So I can sit here and I can pray in the gap. Okay, there's a gap. Families are not doing well right now. Society is a large is attacking families and separating them. But... I know Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I'm going to pray that until I see it manifest. I'm not just going to sit here and say, well, I guess that's just how it is, right? I guess the culture is too strong. The progressives are too crazy. We can't stop it. No. Yes, we can stop it. We can pray his heart, and he's going to move. He's going to fulfill his word. These agendas we think are so strong are not stronger than God's word. Trust me. Jesus calls us to stand in the gap. He calls us to pray for the gap, 
And my third point, he calls us to go to the gap. He calls us to go to the gap. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Now, Jesus um, has just given the Sermon of the Mount in the earlier chapters of Matthew, which we covered a little bit. And now, verse, in chapters 8 through 10, he's demonstrating the kingdom, right? He's teaching them, here's how the kingdom works. Here, here, here are things to focus on. Here's the lifestyle. Here's the Beatitudes. Here's all this stuff. And now I'm going to demonstrate to you when the kingdom of God looks like when it comes. And so here is Christ demonstrating, and then he's about to send out his disciples next. And so we'll get to that. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Isn't that interesting? We definitely don't have all the towns and villages covered in the Bible. How many places and things, people, did did Christ touch? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming what? The good news of the kingdom. It's his message. And then here's how he demonstrated it. Healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus, he prays. Right? He's spending all his time going away from the, praying, 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 praying. For 30 years, he doesn't do any ministry. He's praising with the Father. Then here he goes, right? He went. He, he's modeling this to his disciples. He's going. What's he doing? He's proclaiming the good news. He's healing. He's demonstrating the kingdom, healing diseases, healing everyone that was sick. But then he sees the crowd, and he has, says he has compassion for them. It's tough to have compassion for somebody you don't see, for somebody you don't know, you don't connect with. And so Jesus is a model of prayer first. Prayer is how we shift things. Prayer is how we stand in the gap. But going, I actually believe the going is where we actually receive the compassion of God. And when you look at that word compassion, Greek is splagnizomai. It's just fun to say. That word is listed in Matthew about three or four times. You can look it up on your word studies. Every time it's listed, every time Jesus displays compassion, there's action, there's power, there's healing, there's needs are met, people are touched. But I don't think you have that type of compassion if you don't have proximity to people. And so I want to encourage you. Some of you, you've got your prayer target. You know, I said you know who you're standing the gap for. But if you don't have compassion, you might not be close enough to your target. You might be lobbing prayers, but God's saying, no, I want you to get closer. I want you to get closer because then you'll get my heart. And when you get my heart and you pray my heart and you lay your hands on those people, he'll move through in power. I mean, it's his power that we're after. It's his power that demonstrates the kingdom has come to you. But I think it takes proximity. I think it takes to go to be near the target, to see the fruit. Now, if you look at this verse, it's interesting because the first thing he tells the disciples 
the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. His first response is pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. Pray for the harvest. Pray for the people to go out. He doesn't send them out. He, does, he says that first. In 10.1, it actually says he, then he calls the 12 and he gives them the authority to drive out the impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. We love 10.1, and 10.1 is the authority that you and I have. We can't understate that. But 10.38, or 9.38, is the first thing he asks them to do. It's pray. I think it's the prerequisite to the go. It's to pray. And, and it has, the results of praying and going are atomic. <laughs> now, I think we can really get good at one or the other. Like, I think sometimes we can... We can really get good at going and we don't pray. And I've done that a lot in my life and it, it never feels good. Like it always feels empty. Um, and it, sometimes you can pray and not go, but I actually feel like it's more, we're more susceptible to go and not pray. Because I think when you really pray, you're not just throwing platitudes. When you really pray, you got to go. <laughs> when you really get his heart, you're like, well, yeah, wouldn't I want to be there? Wouldn't I want to see the kingdom of God manifest? Wouldn't I want to see like the powers of darkness shriek and cry and freak out when God comes and moves in power and glory? I want to be there. I want to see it. All right. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus calls us to pray for the gap. Jesus calls us to go for the gap, to go to the gap. And my last point, the word and spirit keep us standing in the gap. It's the word of God and the spirit of God that keep you in that gap. And some of you, I, I can't tell you enough, you got to stay in your lane. Stay in your gap. There are people that are depending on you. God has placed you in this city, and I want to see you stay, and I want to be truthful to stay in my gap, to stay where God has placed me. There's never a, there's, the best picture I have of this is the Apostle Paul. Um, Apostle Paul, right, He's uh, in Acts chapter 9, and you see this actually all throughout Acts. It becomes very clear right at his conversion that Paul is called to the Gentiles. And Ananias lays hands on him, and God tells Ananias, hey, this guy, he says, he's, he's to proclaim my name. God says he's proclaiming my name to the Gentiles, their kings, and to the people of Israel. The Gentiles are his number one target. That's his gap. At that time, there's not a lot of Gentile believers. It's all, it's all Jewish believers. That's all there is. And there's a huge gap between what God has said he's going to do in Scripture and the reality that there are very little Gentile believers. But Paul is assigned to fill the gap. And so I want to look at how he filled that gap because he would do whatever it cost to fulfill his assignment. He got in his lane, he got in his gap, and he would not get out no matter what people did to him, no matter what they said to him. He was convinced this is where he was called, and he threw his life into it completely. So there's a few things that the word of God will, will help you do. Um, as I said earlier, the prophetic and the apostolic, they're so important to keep us moving forward. They're really important to keep us, as Rich talked about last week, from getting too comfortable, from getting too settled, right? From thinking, oh, this is just the way it is, you know? Like, you know, my family, it's just how they are. Like, my industry, this is just how the fashion world is. No, 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 no. Are you listening to the spirit of God? Are you reading the word of God? It's not just how it is. This is the result of sin, which Jesus came and solved. And so when we have the apostolic and the prophetic, it really, it drives us forward. And it causes us to do things that, 
don't make sense in the natural realm, right? Because we're believing a realm that we have not yet seen that is the will of God and the purposes of God to come to the earth. So we look a little odd, and Paul looks odd in, in many different ways. Um, so I'm going to list off three ways in which Paul stayed in the gap, three different things that happened to him that kept him in the gap. The first one was a prophetic word. Um, if you look at Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul, right, he's called to the Gentiles, and the prof- prophetic people in his community were very much aware of things that were going to happen in his life. Praise God for prophetic, prophetic people that can encourage you in, on the road that you're on, right? We need this. We need this in the body of Christ. It's been abused, but let me tell you, there's a healthy manifestation, and we need it. And so Paul needed it, and he's getting these words in, um, in Acts 21. You can read it later. It's in verse 4. The whole community urges him, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to be bad. We know it's going to be bad. The prophets are telling you. And then he gets a specific word in verse 11, and this prophet Agabus tells him, hey, like, he, ties, he does a cool prophet, prophetic thing, right? He ties his arms up, and he's like, hey, like, this is how you're going to be if you go to Jerusalem. And, and Paul is like, oh, wow, thank you for that word. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He does the opposite of what the prophet thinks. The prophet thinks he's warning him, right, to help him out. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Actually, I'm called to the Gentiles. And and so I want to go to Jerusalem because I want them to bind me, because I want them to send me to Rome, which is the center of the Gentile world. So he uses the prophetic for discernment when the prophet doesn't even realize that his message is going to be received differently. So prophetic words, they, they, they help us. They are helpful to keep Paul and to keep us in the gap, but how many know you have to interpret them right? The prophet didn't even know his own interpretation, but Paul did, because Paul knew his own calling. Sometimes we rely so heavy on the prophet versus having this intimacy, this depths of understanding with God. Let the prophet say their thing, and you test that word, and you bring it to the, what, the record that God's already spoken to you. You bring it and you test it with the word of God so that you can actually discern it properly. All right, so the prophetic helped him. The second thing that helped Paul keep stay in the gap was he actually had a vision. So during the night, this is Acts 16. I'll read it to you briefly, verse 9 through 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia, help us. There's an intercessor right there. And Paul, he had seen the vision, and he got ready at once, and he left for Macedonia, concluding God had called him to preach there. So he has a literal vision that gives him direction to how to reach the Gentiles, which God had called him to get to reach. He's staying in his gap. Third point, God will use the word of God to guide and direct you to stay in the gap. Turn with me to Isaiah 59, verse 20 through 21. This is what I just read to you to start off this message, and I'm going to circle back here and close it with Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. Now, Paul is reading this text, right? And and we're going to get to how he actually applies it to his life. But Paul's reading through this, right? He knows the Torah. He knows Isaiah quite well. And here's what it says, Isaiah 59, verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who will turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. You catch that? The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, to Israel. The Redeemer will come. 
Now this is saying Israel is a part, is going to be a part of the new covenant. They're going to come to the fullness of God one day. They're going to come into the kingdom as a part of the new covenant. You can check it out. Jeremiah 31 says the same thing. Jeremiah 31, 31, Ezekiel 36, 26. These scriptures were in Paul's mind and in his heart, and they drove him to do what he did. And I'll, I'll get to how that actually looks. So if you look at Romans chapter 11, right, Paul is writing this book to Rome, to the place he's about to go and be bound up, and he is emphasizing that God is going to be faithful to Israel, and he takes the very text I just quoted to you, and he reads it back to them, and he says, hey, Gentiles, remember where you came from. Remember that, that you were grafted in, that this whole promise, this whole covenant thing was the Jews first, and now you're coming into the blessing. But he's also reminding himself that, hey, you know what? His people, they weren't coming in. He says, there was, a, there was and there still to this day, is a veil over the eyes of the Jewish people. And he's saying, even though there's a veil, even though my own people reject, they rejected him, they kicked him out, they, they, they sent him to, to, to Rome. Even though he was rejected and despised, and they all said, kill him, they, they literally said, rid him of the earth. That's in the scriptures. They said to Paul, he's the worst, rid him of the earth. Even then, he was standing in the gap for the Gentiles because actually by standing for the Gentiles, he was going to get the Jews. He was going to get his own people by doing the thing God had called him to. Some of you, God is giving you assignments to stand in the gap for certain people. And you're like, well, what about my family? What about these other things? What about that? And God's saying, would you just stand in the assignment I gave you? Would, would you understand my word that I've called you to this? Stand and serve me in this arena, and I'll take care of those other things. I'll take care of those people. I'll take care of those loved ones. But you do what I've called you. Be faithful to that. And Paul was faithful to that, not, not just because I had a prophetic word, but he had the word of God. He was standing on the word, so he wasn't going to move from his gap. And he was going to tackle anything that came into that gap. Every Gentile, Paul was going after. And he put himself, I mean, in the worst situations you can imagine. Now, check this out. Very end of Acts, chapter 28, verse 28, says this. For two whole years, um, or verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed in Rome, right? So he shipped off to Rome. He stayed there for two whole years in a rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God right in the middle of the Gentile world. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's called somebody positioning themselves near the target, standing in the gap. Put me in the middle of the Gentile world. Put me in the middle of New York City with these people group, with, with this industry, with, with these. Uh, put me right there, Lord. This, Position me there so that you can move, so that I can walk in compassion, so that I can pray your heart, so that the nations will come in. You know, that's why we're positioned here in New York City. That's why you are positioned here. That is why, if, I don't know, care if you leave next week or two months or however long you are here. If you're a part of this church, you are positioned here to pray for the nations of the earth. You are positioned right in the middle of the Gentile world, a global city, to pray that the global nations would come to the Lord. We're doing the same thing Paul did. And when the Gentiles are reached, the Jews will come into and the fullness of God's kingdom will be manifest on the new heaven and the new earth. That's where this whole thing's going. Worship team, could you guys come on up? So just as Paul was called to the Gentiles, I'll go back to my point earlier. Who are you called to? Where are you called to? What is your gap? 
Are you standing in that gap? Are you praying in that gap? Are you going to the people in that gap? I'm asking myself the same questions. Because the people that God's placed on your heart, the people he's placed in your life, the things that burn in you, you have a responsibility to pray for them and to go to them. And you let God do the rest. But if you pray for them and you go to them, you may find yourself welling up with compassion. You may find yourself seeing God's power move in their lives. You may find yourself bringing the reformation, the renewal, and the revival that God is wanting to birth on the earth. See, I believe some of us, I felt this the other week, there's these groanings of the Holy Spirit. And it's different because different people have different calls. You're placed different. You can't compare yourself. But when you lean into those groanings, there's a birth that's going to come forth from that groan. It's like labor pains. If you lean into that labor pain, God wants to birth something in you. And all you got to do is lean in, pray, and go. And don't look at anybody else. Don't look at anybody else's lane. Don't, look at, don't, don't get caught up. I saw this. I saw this in prayer recently, and this is not a new picture. Like this is not something I made up. This is Bill's talked about this a million times. Like it's this picture of like the wall with Nehemiah. Right? Nehemiah is called to build this wall around Jerusalem, and 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 the calling that that call to build the wall. Everybody had to come and build the wall in front of their house. Like everybody had a part to play. And you couldn't be looking at your neighbor, looking at his wall, trying to defend his wall. Like God's given you your wall. He's given you your gap. And so there's something about you being true to your gap, me being true to my, if we stay true to our gaps and we pray and we go, we're going to see the things that we're asking for. We're going to see the reformation and revival that we long for. Could everybody stand for me, please? So Father, I just thank you for, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are calling us to, to stand in our gaps, Lord. I pray right now, God. I, I pray, Lord, that even the conviction that we might feel, Lord, that we wouldn't throw it off. The groanings that we sense, Lord, that we would not, we would not cast them down. God, I, I pray, Lord, today would you give us grace to engage with the groanings of the Holy Spirit. Would you give us grace, God, to stand in the gap that we wouldn't be overwhelmed? I feel some of you, it's so overwhelming even to think about it, right? To think about your industry, these people you're called to, like how to even birth the things that God's telling you to birth. It's overwhelming. So, God, I pray for a grace right now over your people to stand in the gap. Lord, I pray that there would be, that there would be resource to stand in that gap as well. I pray for provision. I pray for protection. I pray even that they would be just so connected with the body of Christ that they'd be connected emotionally they'd be connected or they'd be protected spiritually they'd be protected financially God would you knit us together Lord for the work of ministry would you knit us together God to to declare and see your kingdom come your will be done in this city in this place in our neighbors God, I pray that we wouldn't be crushed by the gap we're standing in. God, I pray, would you make us brothers and sisters that, that stand for each other, that hold each other up in the midst of their gaps. Some of you, you're like, I don't know if I can stand in this gap. Like, the, you know, the walls are coming in. But you have brothers and sisters that are going to come around you, that are going to stand with you, that are going to pray through it with you, that are going to understand the calling on your life and hold you to it in the most beautiful way. So God, I pray right now. Would you give us the grace 
to stand in this gap. God, would you rebuild the broken walls of our city, Lord, the walls of prayer. Lord, rebuild the walls of prayer. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would even stir up in us, stir up this, this heart for prayer. Some of you are going to start prayer meetings, and it's going to be soon. Like, it's going to be in, like, 2024. You're going to start prayer meetings in your place of business. You're going to start them, even in this church, um, for specific industries, for people groups. You're going to stand in your gap. You're, you're going to you're going to be a catalyst for prayer. So God, I, I pray right now, Lord, would you give vision right now to your saints that they would, would start by praying. Even when they're like, ah, I don't know. I have no idea how to like do this, how to move this. Lord, that they would raise up prayer and intercession for the people and the places that you've called them to. God, I pray you would bring people together in this community, Lord, that are like-minded, that have that same desire to pray. Lord, that, that there would be hours and hours and hours of prayer that would be released here in 2024. Lord, that, that there would be prayer happening in homes and in businesses. Lord, I pray that you would raise up houses of prayer in every in every like university represented here, God, in, in every business represented here, Lord, that there would be a unity in prayer, a power in prayer, God, that moves and shifts industries and people, that softens hearts, that prepares the way for the Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.